2: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network
1: at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
0: You heard her, go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network.
2: Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin.
0: Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm pleased to introduce you to Audrey Carlin. Audrey is a number one New York Times... USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestselling author. She writes wicked hot, wicked hot. I had to put my, uh, what is that? Not Massachusetts. It's more of a Rhode Island accent on there. Wicked hot love stories that are designed to give readers a romantic experience that's sexy, sweet, and so hot, your e-reader may melt. Ah. Her work includes the worldwide phenomenon calendar, and she joins me today on Uncorking a Story to talk about her career and latest books. The marriage auction seasons one uh, i'm sorry the marriage auction season one volumes one through four mm-hmm. welcome to a crooking story audrey
1: thank you isn't it fun that we both have a similar last name mine's carlan and yours is Carlen.
0: <laughs> i know and people people get my name screwed up all the time because it's o-n but it's pronounced mm-hmm. i-n so people tend to like put new letters in there that don't exist like carlton yeah. or carlson <laughs> Cause they want to make, they want to have it make sense in their mind because they can't yeah. wrap their head around Carlin. I kind of wish like, who you know, when, when the Irish side of my family came over, you know, through Ellis Island, I kind of wish they spelled it a different way, but <laughs> you know, what can you do?
1: Exactly. Exactly. We can't, you know, there's not much you can do when it comes to that.
0: <laughs> not much at all. But Audrey, I have to ask you as my opening question, which is the same opening question for everybody, which is where does your story as an author begin?
1: My story as an author begins actually later in life. I didn't per, per publish my first book until I was thirty-four, so I had read um, Fifty Shades of Grey. Actually, like many erotic romance authors, and I um, always had, had a love for reading. Obviously, I read a lot. You can see my bookcase in the back. I um, read Fifty Shades, and it was my first romance. To be honest, I used to read just thrillers and women's fiction and self-help and all the the normal stuff, but I read 50 Shades of Grey and I read about the author, Erica James, and she was a mom of two boys. I'm a mom of two boys. She worked in the corporate world and wrote at night. I was like, wow, what an awesome woman. And she was able to tell a story that made people feel something very strongly. And so I remember distinctly reading it, all three books, and then immediately reading it from front to back again. Yeah. And I thought to myself, you know, If this woman could write her story at night when her babies are sleeping or in school or whatever it is, why can't I? And I chose that moment to enroll myself into online writing courses. And I did those online while I had small babies. And then I would write at night when they're in bed. And instead of trying to get an agent or um, a publisher, I self-published on Amazon and used a system that produced the books throughout. And then I was picked up by a publisher after about mm, six books and maybe six months into calendar girl, which is the big, the big uh, seller that I've had worldwide. Yeah. So, yeah. It was kind of one of those just very organic, very, just like the universe spoke. I listened and it has been a nine year career for me now. I've started working full-time as a writer, probably two years out of, of publishing and I never
0: went back well, uh, prior to like being 34 and reading 50 shades. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think to yourself, Hey, I, I want to write a book someday, or is this really just inspired by, you know, the E.L. James story?
1: Well, I think that every writer wants to write a book, but they don't have faith in themselves. They don't have that maybe support system that lifts them up. I, I, would write fan fiction and things like that for fun. I would read and gobble up books. So writing and reading have always been part of my life ever since I was a little girl. It's just a matter of putting it into a different context. And I think that that reading those books kind of just made me think, wow, I can this would be fun. I want to try to do this. And so I wrote my first book. I must rewrote that book five times. I I can't and I didn't even produce it first. My first book I did not publish until the fourth book I published because it wasn't ready. It was like a lot of people who write their first book don't even publish the first book because it's that's your learning ground. That's oh, where yeah. craft starts. You know, that's where you write garbage and learn how to rephrase it and you know work it work it into something that's actually good. <laughs> so, oh,
0: I mean, I I have two manuscripts that will never see the light of day because oh, they, you should
1: go back to them.
0: Go well, back
1: to them.
0: I don't know. The they, attention.
1: See what happens. You're a different person now.
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But they, <laughs> they, it was like, it was like my first, my first try at writing and I even hired an editor to the whole thing, you know, yeah. but, um, yeah, I just kind of were like, you know what writing a memoir at 30.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I was like. <laughs>
0: what the fuck have I done? <laughs> you know?
1: Yeah, exactly. Maybe you should twist it into a, a fictional story versus a memoir. Right. Make well, actually, I did, I did I repurpose. It
0: <laughs> I did repurpose the second one of those to to be a key, um sort of key flashbacks in, in a book that I later did publish.
2: Oh, good. Um, yeah, good. so I did,
0: I did use it. Uh, the other one, you know, I don't think it'll ever go anywhere. And I, I don't need it to, you know, right. but it was, it
1: was for you. It was for you. It was
0: for me. It was for me. That's Perfect. exactly right.
1: Absolutely. Exactly right. Some things I write, I'm like, well, I don't feel like this is the right time for this, or this isn't the right, you know, era of this type of writing. A lot of times you'll find that you might be inspired by something, but the market isn't. So you've got to like weigh those things out and determine You know, do people want to write, read motorcycle romance right now? Well, they did when Sons of Anarchy was huge and maybe they're starting to get a little bit more into it, but it's in my industry in romance, writing romance, it's very like there are certain tropes that are really hot. There's certain type of um, plot lines that are really hot and you've got to kind of finagle through those things and find something that has its own hook, which is why the marriage auction did so has done so well is that. It's got a a good hook. It's got that, you know, forced proximity, marriage of convenience. It's taboo. You know, women are giving themselves up for auction and men are giving themselves up for auction. So it's very, you've got to find that niche for yourself and your words and the things that you feel connected to.
0: Well, I do want to dig into your story, just the backstory a little bit more, because I'm fascinated by this sort of self-published turn picked up by
1: publisher. publisher.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Just tell me a little bit more about that journey because that is, I, I'd say, certainly the exception rather than the rule for most it, yeah. independent authors.
1: Yeah, it is. I self-published and I was doing, I had released six novels and then I had re- released six novellas of Calendar Girl. Calendar Girl is was my biggest series. It's in 37 languages. And it is one woman's journey towards helping save her dad. And she's an escort. <laughs> So she goes from city to city to city each month. So when I was working on that, I was writing them, having them edited, fixing the edits and going through proofing and publishing on Amazon in the same month. So it was every single month people were getting a piece of the calendar girl story and it was, it blew up and it's a serial. I'm pretty good. Serials are kind of my thing. Like that's what I'm good at is. I could stretch that story out and keep you interested for a very long time. But back then, people weren't really doing that. So it was kind of a hot thing. It was kind of like, oh, this is different. This is new. You know, people caught on. And without any support marketing wise, I started hitting like top 500 on Amazon every time I would release one. And so a small press found me. And was like, we're interested in working with you. We think we can help, you know, really put this out there to the world. And I was like, I'm an at-home mom. I worked for charity during the day. I wrote at night. And I was like, okay, you want to buy all my books that I've already written, re-put them out there, make a brand, like help me do all that. I was like, all right. So um, I did that. Moral of the story in that regard is get a good lawyer. (laughs) Get a what? Get a good lawyer a because good lawyer, anytime yeah. someone wants to buy a lot of stuff, you need definitely people to support you and you know keep you on the up and up. And I signed a 27 book deal.
0: <laughs> Holy shit. Without an agent. Uh-huh. Without oh. an agent,
1: without a lawyer. <laughs> so it's been uh it's been a ride, you know. So that publisher is my first 27 titles. And then I have some indie published products after that. That I just did on my own because when you start working with a publisher or other publishers, there are different things that they're willing to allow you to do leeway wise, like tell the story you want to tell. Some publishers are like, mm, we don't condone cheating. We don't condone this or that. We don't want to talk about um, like political things. If you mention like the Me Too movement, they're like, eh, let's pull that out. You know, things like this. They they don't want to have controversial things. So I like to teach life lessons in my books and I like to talk about the difficult things and especially women going through domestic abuse and surviving that and coming out on top and being, you know, living their best lives. And um, so those are kinds of things that sometimes I would write in a hybrid capacity, which is someone who writes both in traditional published titles and self-publishing. And so I'm a hybrid author now. And That gives me the ability to write whatever the hell I want, whenever the hell I want, (laughs) which is really nice. And my agent will pitch me a story that I come up with or an idea I have to different publishers. And if they want it, they'll say, yeah, I want it. And this is how much I'm willing to pay for it. And I'll get that on the schedule as my traditional pub items. So I have Waterhouse Press was my first publisher. I have Harlequin. I have Amazon. I did Montlake Romance with Amazon. And now I'm working with Blue Box Press. So... I like to keep my auctions open. That's kind of my journey is just to write what I want to write and work with the right publisher. At this point in my career, I'm able to work with who I want. You know, it's, it's, if I write it and it's going to be something that has my soul in it, I want it to be connected to the publisher that feels that same connection. You know what I mean? And that's with Marriage Auction, that's Blue Box Press. There are three women that run that company. They are bad asses, man. They are so smart. So intuitive about the industry about marketing about everything and they really want the author to tell their story and i think that's a really powerful company to work with when you get to have that connection
0: now i know prior to to signing that deal you know your your books kind of caught fire on amazon yeah. Yeah. were you publishing through kindle vela
1: no I, kindle vela didn't start kindle is a new thing that Amazon created, and it was kind of their answer to Radish and Kiss App and all of those other Chapters App. Basically, they created in July will be the second year that it's that it's been out. So it's only been two years in July that that program is gone. So to them, it's very much in its infancy. It's new, and my agent actually contacted me and was like. Hey, you remember, Audrey, when you told me you wanted to write a soap opera? I'm like, yeah, I really want to write a soap opera. And she's like, because I love, I miss my characters. I love serials. So when serials aren't hot, I have to write the one-offs, you know, the one standalones or a series. Well, I do like to take a character through a massive journey. And she's like, guess what? Amazon is doing this thing called Kindle Vella. Have you heard about it? like, yeah, a little bit. And she's like, it's perfect for you. You can write an episode and post it anytime you want, and then people can read it. And it's kind of like a game, like when you're playing Candy Crush or or um, one of those games you buy tokens and you can use them for power-ups or whatever. It's kind of like that to me, but you're reading chapters with the tokens. So if I post an episode, like I'm gonna post one today, and it's probably about 2,300 words. So that would be a, a good size chapter for any author and it'll cost 23 tokens. So you pay one token per 100 words and 23, it's like 23 cents. Essentially, you're paying 23 cents for or less for that reading. And what I like most about Vella in my experience is that people get to read on the go. They're picking up their kids in line, car line. They're at the grocery store. They're on the train. They're waiting for a bus. You know, they're a passenger in a car. They're in their Uber, you know, whatever it is is, they're able to read something that is from start to finish relatively concise and that's how i've been successful in it is making it each episode or chapter whatever you want to call them bite-sized little mini stories that keep shifting the story forward and that's how they get that's how they get people on this program it's really cool because a lot of people are writing their manuscripts essentially as they're posting them which is fun but you have to be You have to be thoughtful about the way that people are reading it, because if it's just a filler episode, those people could bail so fast. There's so many stories to read. So you have to be really thoughtful about entertaining the reader in every single episode.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure my listeners are curious, especially those who are independent authors themselves. How did you find your audience or did your audience find you because that that's really the key for you going you know getting a publisher interested is hey yeah. you've got this audience behind you you've built this you know this yeah. network this platform the these readers How you did have you
1: brand you have to build your brand for sure and that takes a lot of time energy and effort and contribution of yourself like you have to really put your all into building your brand. I worked with my first publisher, we decided on things like, I mean, you could do the normal minutiae things like font. Font's important. Like if you see on this book, I mean, other, the readers can't, it's pretty big that it says Audrey Carlin. My other ones, it's even bigger. So when I started, I was the brand. So they liked me, I guess. And I was mom and I wasn't afraid to do interviews and things like this. And so I put myself out there as much as possible. And when I say that, writers tend to be introverted. We tend to like pull up in our offices, write our words. Like we live our best lives on the page, but in order to get people to really want to buy your book, because you wrote it, you have to put yourself out there a little bit. Yeah. At least in my experience, you know, it, you have to be willing to sacrifice your time, your events, things with your family. Like I was grinding so hard, Mike, like, oh my God, I can't tell you when you're trying to be a mom and you're trying to write and you're trying to publish and but you also need to do weekly lives with your reader groups on Facebook and you have to go on Instagram. I have all the social medias. I have TikTok now. I do a lot of TikTokking. It's putting yourself out there and being willing to let people see that vulnerable side of you. That really helped me build my brand because I'm not trying to get the 18 year olds in in high school reading my books. I'm trying to get the women that are in their 20s and up to really connect because that's the era of my books. That's who I'm writing for. And if you find your audience, it's kind of going to be based on what you write, how you connect with them and talk to them and how you put yourself on the page. And you keep doing that until that audience that suits you just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and then it starts getting worldwide you know that's how it
0: yeah. works yeah i mean i think a lot of authors and self-included you know we, we do our publicity right so we, we do we, we go on podcasts we do our book signings we do events yeah. one thing that i think maybe some of us struggle with more is sort of engaging that audience on a very regular basis so doing those Instagram lives or those yep. Facebook lives or even newsletters, yep. you know, because for for even if you're traditionally published, you are kind of you have to think about running your your writing career as it is a small business and, and put it's together a marketing most- plan for it.
1: Yep. Well, and also, just because you have a publisher doesn't mean they're going to spend a lot of money on your product. If that's not part of your contract with them, they will do the normal means they will put it out there and let people pick it up or not, they, it's just, they expect you to do a lot of marketing. And I think that a lot of authors are very uncomfortable with being in front of cameras, being in front of the audience in a way that makes them vulnerable. And that's right now in this era, in my opinion, that's going to be a hindrance. You've got to work towards, you know, do things that you're uncomfortable with. Try, you know, just really connect. And if you don't want to put your face, then come up with something else that works for you. Show your books without your face, you know? I mean, I watched this gal on TikTok that's a narrator and she doesn't want to share her face. So she literally wears a mask and does TikToks with a mask on that you can't see who she is, but you can hear her voice because what matters to a person is that her narration is awesome. So she doesn't want to be known for her face. She wants to be known for her voice because she narrates books. That's her job. And I thought that was a really cool, clever thing to do.
0: How did you know that you had a knack for writing erotic fiction? Because um, I'm just oh, going back, I'm going back to this, like you read Fifty Shades and a lot of yeah. us did. And I certainly did. Yeah. And I tried under a pseudonym. Okay. Um, And the feedback I got from one of my early readers was, have you ever had sex with a woman before, Mike?
1: Yeah, um, it's men and women have very different thinking patterns. Men, in my opinion, <laughs> this is personal opinion, men are more about the action and women are more about the feeling mm-hmm. so and the emotional connection behind the act of sex whereas men are more focused and that's not a oh i want to rut and you know caveman. Hey, man it's not like that it's more like men are just really focused on the act of of having sex versus a woman who's maybe making love you know what i mean it it, it, it can be i mean it could be all those things it could be you know screwing it could be you know porno style it could be you know just absolutely beautiful and flowers and rainbows but what you do in a book is you focus on what that character is feeling and where so it's not necessarily you know oh he kissed me this way it's our tongues danced you know it's you know shivers I've got you know um he, you know, lightly touched my arm and sent shivers down my spine. So it's like making those connections to that person's touch to the woman's experience is what's really important in erotic fiction. And I don't want erotica. Erotica is about getting off. That is dark romance. There's a lot of erotica. Um, things like Anne Rice did a lot of erotica. Um, but what I write is erotic romance, which romance is the key. If there is a love story, if there, because I believe love is erotic, like all of this, you know, if you're with your partner and you're getting intimate, that is erotic. That's hot. That's fun. It's exciting. It's whatever it is. And we can't deny that that is occurring because we wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't. Right. Like sex is really, really thing that everybody does. And if they're not, I'm really sad for them because they should be, but it's, You know, erotica is about getting off. Erotic romance is about graphic depictions of sexual acts in order to create a feeling within the reader. And that really works. I mean, it works for me. It's I like people to go, wow, that was a hot book. I want to go have fun with my husband or have fun with my wife and be like, man, that Audrey, she, you know, took me on a journey. And a journey is like every person's life. That is your journey, you know? If you're reading a book; it should feel no different.
0: But how did you know you were good at it? I'm I'm just curious about that.
1: Um, I think that whenever I started writing it, I first of all, if you want to write anything, read a shit ton of it. Like overload yourself on the the vibe, the what is happening in that type of genre for yourself. And so I read a lot of erotic romance and was like, no, this is for sure what I'm going to write. But I wanted to do it in a way that wasn't filthy. <laughs> I'm not against filthy reads. I love a filthy read. I read alien romance is one of my favorite things right now. And it's filthy it is dirty. And I love it. It's great. They're blue, they're horned, they got tails. It's like crazy. But I'm like, oh, read this. this is silly as hell. And but it's awesome. It's fun. And it's a different world. And that's what reading is supposed to be about escape and experience and, you know, stroking the muse and all of that. So erotic, I just decided that there were going to be certain things I wouldn't say or do in my books. And I decided that I would write erotic stories that were realistic. So if you read one of my sex scenes, most of them are something you've done yourself. You know what I mean? But you're getting to like have that memory of it, or it's striking that normalcy. You can imagine yourself doing that. So that strikes that feeling within you. But I knew I was good at it when I was told by my beta readers, my friends, my editor, like, damn, girl, like lean into this. Like, this is good. And that's just kind of what I kept doing is what I was reading was what I wanted to write. So I focused on really studying all the books. I read, you know, Fifty Shades. Sylvia Day's Bared to You series is top five reads ever. I read so many things like that to truly find my fit and my fit tended to be. Realistic love stories that had a journey that had sisterhood that the reader could learn a life lesson as they were learning this journey, you know what I mean? Taking this path, and that's kind of what I focus on.
0: Yeah, um, well, what can you share with us about uh, the marriage auction?
1: Okay, so the marriage auction is serialized story fiction about four couples that four women put themselves up for auction. And four bidders purchase them. And it's all consensual. Consent is a major thing for me. Basically, the first one wants to change her life for her and her sister. Grew up, you know, it's very stereotypical. You know, grew up in a trailer park. Is a stripper, you know. I wanted to have that little bit of a grungy character. But her whole reason for doing it is because her sister is like a genius. She's so smart. They've had this horrible, horrible life. Backstory. It's really dark. And they lift each other up. And so her whole goal is to provide her sister with the money she needs for college and changing their lives together so that they can live this whole great life. Another one is on the run and she has an ex-boyfriend that's super rich and she has been hiding from him. And what's the best way to get under one rich man? (laughs) It's to get under a more powerful rich man in her her experience. So that's her goal. So that story blows up. And it blows up because that her ex is really a bad guy. And then I've got two sisters who live in Montana, cowgirls in a way, and they have different reasons for, um, well, they have the same reason for entering themselves into the auction is because they want to save their family's land. And I kind of took a Hatfield and McCoy's approach, which a lot of people maybe on your audience won't know the Hatfields and McCoy's, (laughs) but they fought for land. And basically it's a generation and generation of, those two families that are neighbors falling for one another and things going terribly wrong. And that's kind of where it picks up where one of the bidders is the neighbor and he buys the girl that he's always been in love with, but could never be with because he has generational family hate. <laughs> so that is the frenemies lo- or enemies to lovers. And then I've got the younger sister who left a man essentially, you know, dropped her engagement to him to do this and help the family And that whole situation has to run its course too. So they all have different reasons. And then the bitters, you know, I've got a widow, I've got a single dad, I've got the neighbor who's always loved her. And now this is his chance, you know, and then I've got um, two identical brothers vying for the same woman (laughs) and she has to pick which one she wants to be with. So it's, it's a lot of basically taboo. And that's kind of the hook is that you're going to get some crazy shit. happening and it's an it's an adventure it's very much take this adventure with us it has um 11 characters if you include the madam of the auction and she she people love her they because she's just cool as hell and she connects with each one kind of follows along with their journey and so you get to experience essentially someone doing something very taboo and taking that all the way till when they get married and their families are involved and what happens on each journey and every single episode just keeps moving you forward.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, this, this idea of a marriage auction, I had it that yeah. come to you because I mean, it sounds, I don't know, somewhat maybe tawdry, dystopian yeah. or yeah, it sounds something like, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, hey, it's very, you know. yeah. It's very,
1: yeah. It's very taboo. That's what I like to call it, just taboo romance. And it's one of those things where I wanted to play with, a woman choosing this path and doing it for a lot of money and not feeling guilty for that and why she did it plus the bitters like i i love that kind of like you know on on um, netflix or hulu or whatever they have like uh love at first sight or the bachelor and all these people because love is what everybody's searching for but not everybody's going to get it and it's a a standard thing that everybody wants everybody's intrigued with we watch all of these romantic reality shows and i was like well what if i made it like a tv show but in a book format so this is perfectly laid out for like a netflix original or something like that so each episode start and finish will give you a good dose of something massive through the story as you go whether it's a character arc, um a sex scene um a fight scene, it, a, a, a plane blows up in one of the episodes, <laughs> a house is on fire in one of the episodes, <laughs> like there's a lot of crazy shit happening. And I kind of went with that concept of this is taboo, it's it's a little sketchy, but yet you can kind of like, oh, hmm, I want to I learn more about that. You know, that sounds a little sexy, adventure, crazy, something we would never do. And that was the appeal for me is writing some, making something that shouldn't be right. Right.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, it, it does sound like there's certainly some, some empowerment in there uh, for the female characters because it's there. They're not being thrust into this. Nope. You know, it's not like the hunger games where somebody has to no. volunteer as tribute.
1: <laughs> no, not <Yeah>. even. And <laughs> even the bitters are there for a reason. You know, the two twins they're in there because their grandfather left them an inheritance, but said the first one who wins it, who gets the um, governing percent of the companies of their withholdings with has to be married. And so it's kind of one of this, like they've been thrust upon this, like, Oh, we're twins. I want to, I want to take over the company. This guy wants to take over the company. So they're kind of battling and now they're battling for the woman too. So it's all drama. It's all about the drama. Like what kind of conflict you can put in there? What kind of love arcs you can put in there? The emotions are intense and it all works out in happily ever after, I Always write happily ever afters, but you gotta take the journey to get there.
0: Yeah, that sounds uh, sounds very <laughs> intriguing. And they all You're came like, out oh, on the same. Now
1: day. I want to read.
0: I know I'm gonna I'm gonna have to uh, you know <laughs> block off some time because there's not one, but there's four of them that. All well, can- <laughs> it is a
1: journey, but like I said, the the reason why this is such an ideal binge read is because for one, you don't have to wait; it's already out. We put all four books. It's like 400 pages a piece of awesome, and you are taken on a journey. and You could put it down and come back to it two weeks later and be like, Ah, oh, I know where I'm at. You know, it's it reads like that because I did it on Vela first. So I published this for a year and a half on Amazon's Kindle Vela because I wanted to really give that program a chance and try it out. And I succeeded in it, I was number one for most of the time i've been number one on that i think i'm number two right now because i haven't posted another episode anybody can get a chance on kindle bella to be number one you just have to keep posting keep writing it's a fast pace but i also refuse to post anything unedited i just won't you know diminish my my stories or my brand so i make sure every single episode is edited before it's loaded and in pretty good quality so that you know people are going to pay for it they're going to pay for a good product
0: Did you have to change anything going from Vela to kind of putting it in, you know, long form book form? Um, I did
1: not, but I added 10% more content to each book just for the readers because I wanted to, if they're already purchased it in Vela, I'm like, if you, yeah, you want these on your shelfie, that's cool. But I wanted them to have more, you know, so I went through and added 10% content to every single book. So it's like essentially writing another book in there. <laughs> and so they get more, which is fun. You can do more deeper sex scenes. I can add to conversations to make them a little bit fuller because in Vela, it's very fast paced. If you put too little, people get bored. If you put too much, people get bored. So it's gotta be moving very quickly. Action, action, action all the time.
0: What What's the sort of rule of thumb or average word count for a Vela story?
1: It can be at minimum 600 words. And then I think at maximum 5,000, I would not personally go to 5,000. I have gone to 3,000, but that's like in episode 100 where everybody's already in, they're committed and it's like a Madame Alana episode. So it's like a special episode and I'll put a fatty in there. But normally I try to stay around 2,000 to 2,500 words. That's my sweet spot's about 2,500
0: Okay, and that that feels like maybe an average chapter length in a book, yeah, or
1: yeah, absolutely. Right?
0: But they're That's not chapters in the sense that I mean they have to be complete stories, right? Well,
1: ish. It's a scene. I I think of it more as a scene. Each episode is a scene, and that scene needs to feel complete in order for the reader to have fulfillment in reading them.
0: Okay, you mentioned you know you could actually see them sort of you know chapterized or serialized on on the screen you mentioned yeah. hulu, netflix is yeah. that is that in the works is is that
1: it, my agent is always working on that of course but it's we've had some interest and we'll just see what happens that's kind of where we're at right now is i would love to see a netflix original or a hulu original amazon prime original i want it to be an original only because i feel like i would have more involvement in something like that the second you start going big picture i'm it can be a little bit scarier. So I've had one of my books turned into a movie and um, it was this one, actually. Resisting Roots. Ooh. It was by Flicks, which is a streaming service. This is um, Elizabeth Posey was the actress, the uh, main character, and Lou Ferrigno Jr. Um, who's in- Oh, Outer the,
0: the, the uh, Incredible Hulk Jr. Jr. The Incredible
1: Hulk Jr., but he's also in Outer Banks and he was on SWAT. And so he's a super great actor, super cool guy. This was his first- Romance lead, and it was really fun. It's on Passionflix, which is a, also a subscription service that's like a streaming. So they turn books into movies. They turn romantic books into movies, and they chose mine, and
0: it was awesome. So how involved were you in? That. How involved were you in the screenwriting process for that? Were you? Did you? Did you try and do that in yourself? The or? Script.
1: I was not involved in the screenwriting per se, and then I moved to Georgia for a month for the filming of that just to be a part of, I wanted to experience it, you know, live your best life, trying out this thing. So my husband and my kids were really supportive of it. And they, um, we went to Georgia for a month and I got to see it on set and hang out with them and talk about design or, or their outfits or what they would say, because with passion books, they're very big on being as close to the book as possible without it being cheesy, because you got to remember when you're saying things like you're mine, that really doesn't play well on TV. You know, it's, it doesn't, you know, or like, I'm going to be so deep inside you. Like you don't want to have that, you know, on the screen, you're like, Oh, that's cringe. You know? (laughs) So they had to change, you know, language and things that you would say to excite the reader, to excite the viewer. And that was really cool. Plus, even though I write erotic romance, I'm a very you know modest gal. And when I had the first conversation with Tosca Musk, um, it's Elon Musk's sister that owns Passion Place, and that's who did my book. So I'm talking to Tosca. First question she asked me, "Okay, so how much nud- nudity are we going to have?" And I was like, "Turn beet red." I freaked out. I'm like, "I want no part of this conversation." <laughs>
0: So were you on the set when they were filming love scenes?
1: I refused. I that I was allowed? You can it's um in the it's like the Screen Guild, you know, like um there's some kind of body that governs this process. So when you Screen Actors Guild, I yeah. think it's something like that. Exactly. So yeah. they have rules about that. So the um creator can be part of it as well as just the minimum, you know, skeleton crew. Uh, but I did not want to, because I don't know, I wanted to be surprised. And um, I also wanted it to be less visually erotic, more emotionally erotic. So that's kind of the effort that I took whenever I worked with them and said, let's make this more fun versus more like Fifty Shades, let's do it more like Nodding Hill, <laughs>
0: So, I mean, was it mission accomplished? Were you happy with the way it turned very,
1: out? very, very happy. I just think it's such a cute... It's very much... It almost is like a romantic comedy, which is really fun for me. It's definitely a chick flick. I I mean, of course, my husband watched it and other people in my life have watched it. But I feel like it's a feel-good chick flick with, with, with some spice. It was yeah. good. I thought it was really good.
0: That sounds good. Something maybe a little bit... You know, maybe a little bit too much for a Lifetime. But... Um, yeah but not
1: that far not, not that, that, that far, far. not yeah. too far yeah. just not just past Walmart. not quite Hallmark, but definitely a regular um you know romance like a nodding hill or you know the proposal or any of those fun chick flicks that it would fit perfect into that
0: oh i love the proposal are you kidding i mean yeah, so fun. sandy bullock and ryan reynolds
1: absolutely
0: <laughs> you can't go wrong with that combo
1: no, you can't. You really
0: Although, can't. Well, Ryan Reynolds is always Ryan Reynolds, like no matter what he's cast in.
1: It, you he know. can be Deadpool and it don't matter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, well, awesome. one of the ways I, I like to get to know my guests a little bit more is through pop culture. So I'm curious, okay. Audrey, um, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV?
1: When I was growing up?
0: When you were growing up.
1: I mean, obviously, I watched soap operas with my mom because
0: that's what you did when
1: you're a Gen or your mom, days of our lives.
0: Oh, your days, <laughs> days okay. of our lives.
1: I was infatuated with that. Marlena Evans and all her different men that were the same man, but not <laughs> over and over, it would change.
0: I was a, and this, I can't believe I'm about to admit this, but my grandmother lived with us uh, when I was in high school. And after school, I'd come home. Uh, she'd always be watching her stories.
1: Yeah, stories. They, they, call they were called stories. my
0: stories. Yeah. Yeah. Always the CBS one. So, you know, I was knee deep into As the World Turns. Oh, and, yeah. And Guiding Light. Uh, <laughs> Bold and the Beautiful.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um,
0: you know, Ridge and Thorn.
1: Uh, <laughs> Even those names are awesome,
0: Thor. Those names are so great. <laughs> they had great hair that's what i remember i love it i mean we were
1: also the era of like melrose plays oh my
0: god are you kidding me that was a point we're
1: hot when we were young but i went into the rock phase i went into like bon jovi van halen you know because my sisters were older so i was kind of into all that
0: (laughs) well that was my my next question is what did you listen to growing up
1: oh definitely that but i'm also like a throwbacks girl I always say, like, literally I'm 5% Snoop Dogg. <laughs> I've got 5% of Snoop Dogg hidden within me because I love throwbacks. I love Biggie, Snoop Dogg. I love Tupac. I love Mary J. Blige and, like, TLC and salt and Peppa. Those are all super faves of mine.
0: <laughs> I saw before the pandemic, um, the summer before the pandemic, I got to see Poison
1: awesome uh, which was
0: i mean such a great great show Brett michaels is a tremendous front man he is. that was a he's great very show
1: cool. he's very cool i watched him on that celebrity um the one with trump on it i watched oh, that
0: celebrity uh, the apprentice
1: yeah i watched the apprentice a long time ago and he was on it he was good he was really
0: yeah. good yeah i used to watch the apprentice um yeah i mean i think a, we all did <laughs> you know pre-2016 i was uh yeah <laughs> I was watching it quite a bit I'm like I liked it then <laughs> yeah no I love but I loved I mean the hair metal and heavy metal I mean I like oh, you know yeah. the, the more harder bands too Metallica Iron Maiden you know my husband's into tracks.
1: that my husband's totally into that Alice in Chains and all the different you know what's the Primus no yeah.
0: Primus was great I saw Primus open for U2 in 1992 I think That's the summer awesome. of 92 that was a actually fantastic show.
1: going this year to janet jackson because i'm like i gotta see it before i miss it
0: yeah rhythm nation <laughs> some
1: of those age, those those actors and um, musicians that are that are aging they're getting to a point where they're going to maybe stop touring and so yeah but you know what's opening for her is ludicrous and i was like "Move, bitch get out of the way. <laughs> i'm so ready <laughs> i'm so ready <laughs>
0: um Since, since, you know, becoming a full-time writer, so being able to step away, it sounds like you were able to step away from a full-time gig.
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. I did that pretty soon. When I signed that 27-book deal, I quit working full-time. I worked part-time. And then after I knew this, okay, this is a new career for me, after I started making money, I was like, all right, I can quit my day job and focus on this full-time. And I never went back. So I've been a full-time writer probably for seven and a half, eight years now.
0: How did your life change at that point? You oh, know? my
1: God. I had when Calendar Girl, what was really cool about Calendar Girls, once I got a publisher, it was about six novellas, because I told you I was writing one at a time. I think I was on June Calendar Girl when I signed the deal with them. And they let me finish it out. And then they promoted it in December. Like As I was finishing the saga and I ended it four days after the end of December, I hit New York Times because I had money behind it. I had somebody who was willing to put a bunch of money behind it, and we put it out there, people started reading it, and then it went to auction. And it sold all across the world, and that put me into having to do a media tour. So I ended up, I mean, there was this one time I was in Spain, and I had 21 interviewers sitting around me with their microphones and a translator and I was like, this is unreal. This makes no sense. And they did crazy shit. Like, okay, we want to do a photo shoot. And I was like, all right, you know, cool. Let's take photos. And they're like, okay, take your shirt off. I was like, what? No, <laughs> like, we want you to get in the bed and pretend to be like, like all, um, uh, like jostled from having sex and stuff. And I'm like, I'm a mom, dude. I'm like a 40-year-old, 35-year-old woman. Like, or this time I was like maybe 37. I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. So we did a little bit of things that were kind of more risque as far as like, oh, you know, it was really silly, but it, it worked and it helped sell. And then I was on a bunch of different interviews. And so I think I saw like 18 countries in two years because yeah. of that saga. And that changed my life. It changed the way I see the world it changes the way i approach people the way i approach travel it's people really need to get the hell out of the us and see the world you need to experience other cultures because you don't you don't know what you're missing out on until you've seen it like first of all go to france like start with france at france paris is beautiful it is looks like it's a movie set you won't believe you're there you're walking down the street and you eat at this little patisserie and then you're like, whoa, 800-year-old Gothic church. We don't have anything that's that old in our country. And it's everywhere there. And the people are different and they dress different, they eat different and they do things. And it's fun. And it kind of makes you one of those people who understands others better, I feel like, because I've had that exposure to other cultures.
0: I would imagine just being able to free up your mind by by not having to sort of you know work full-time anymore and be able to invest, you know, 100% of your time as a writer, but also having those experiences is some fuel for for future writing
1: work. Oh, Yeah. yeah, I've written I after calendar girl, I wrote international guy because I went on that international tour. And I gave of myself the experiences I had, I had the characters experience. So my goal was to just really show what the world looks like in these different places and the different types of things that are normal to them, the food, the dancing, the views. And that was really, really great experience to be able to share that with the world.
0: Yeah, Um, if you had someone in front of you or someone listening and they came to you and said, Audrey, um, I I want to sort of follow in your footsteps. I I wanna be a successful author. I am publishing independently now. Yeah. What what some what are some words of advice you might share with them?
1: I would put a good amount of money into editing because your editing, it's key. Like the first thing a person reads from you needs to be accurate. Otherwise, they're going to start thinking you're sloppy and they may not come back. If You have a lot of errors in your manuscript. It is, the reader is not going to hit stamp for that because they can read something else for just as much money or just as little money and get a better product. Um, so have a little faith and value in your work and put your money behind where your mouth is and where your words are. Um, put yourself out there. Absolutely. You have to add, and don't be, don't be afraid to ask your friends. Like I, when I started Bella, I was like, call my dad, all my sisters, all my friends. I was like, Hey, y'all got to download this Bella thing. Y'all got to like my episodes. Y'all got to favorite. You, I need this. Like, I need this. This is something I need. And then when it gets popular, you can do whatever you want, <laughs> but help me, you know, and that's one of those things. All my friends read all my books. Even to this day, most of my friends read all my books mm-hmm. and my sisters are like, when am I getting another chapter? So it's, don't be afraid to talk to the people around you and get that support, find your people and have them gather around you. I have five beta readers. They've been with me probably five or six years now they edit my, they don't edit, but they review my draft, my dirty draft stuff. Every time I write a chapter, they review it that night and get me feedback saying, oh, I can't believe this character did that. Or why did this person happen? So you've got to find your people and and connect with them and really make it a, almost like a team effort. When you're starting out, create a Instagram, TikTok, Book talk is really huge, you guys. And if you are not on Book Talk, you are missing out. I'm not saying you need to specifically put yourself out there, but your books need to be seen, and the best way to get them seen is by putting them out there. <laughs> so yeah, do all that editing, get your brand in place, pick a font, put it on your books, and stick with it forever. You know, just stick with things. Make it your your brand, like you are the book in essentially as part of it.
0: And if you could go back in time and give your younger self some words of advice, what would you yeah. tell your younger self, Audrey?
1: Hire a lawyer <laughs>
0: <laughs> for, for the multi, you know, 20 plus now, you're deal. signing
1: a 27 book deal or a four book deal, have someone who knows the legalese behind it, really understand what a copyright means, what, you know, um, you know, First right of refusal means, which which is essentially, if you write something for a publisher and they have first right of refusal, that means your next product, you have to allow them to bid on it first. You don't have to accept it, but you have to allow them the opportunity to bid on it. And even if you don't want to work with them anymore. So it doesn't matter. There's things like that that you, you don't want to get stuck into. You don't want to get it stuck in a low percentage on royalties or, for example, foreign rights are huge. Do not give away your foreign rights. If at all, give away minimal percentages. Don't give away 90% at the get. You know what I mean? So it's, it have someone look at your stuff for sure.
0: It's, it sounds like you may have learned something the hard way.
1: I Every single author I know has. It's when you go into business for yourself, you're going to hire people that maybe work out for you and don't work out for you. You're going to try new things with your books that are going to succeed and fail. And that's kind of a process that every single one of us does talk to other authors, join the associations, the romance writers association, or any of the associations that relate to your genre and connect with other people because you really want to talk. Is that publisher good? First of all, the biggest thing, if one, if any publisher says it's going to cost you money to publish with them, do not sign with them. It is a total scam. I did not do that. I I don't have that problem, but I have so many friends that did. They spent $2,500. Oh, they're going to produce my book and all this. You don't need someone. A publisher pays you. You don't pay them. They take the risk of publishing your product. Otherwise, you might as well just do it self-publish.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been very exciting Um, and certainly (laughs) educational. Audrey, yeah, imagine, I-, I imagine there are some people listening who are like, you know what? I really want to uh, pick her brain or follow her on social media or yes. contact her somehow. Audrey, h- how can people get in touch with you or follow it's you?
1: really easy. Every single one of my platforms is at Audrey Carlin. So it's A-U-D-R-E-Y-C-A-R-L-A-N. So if you look up Audrey Carlin, you will find me at Audrey Carlin on Twitter, on Facebook, instagram on tiktok on facebook and there i am and i'm really avidly involved with my reader show
0: and i will put all of that in our show notes so people don't have to write that down as they're driving or uh at the gym or or going for a run (laughs)
1: exactly
0: (laughs) and i imagine uh the marriage auction is it available wherever books are sold
1: it is it's available in english australia canada everywhere else books are sold in english so Yep. You can go to Barnes & Noble and order it. If they don't have it on the shelf, then you can order it there or you can just op on Amazon and get yourself a copy.
0: Oh, very good. Audrey, thank you for stopping by Uncorking thank a Story. You. This was so fun. Un- very good. Letting me uncork yours.
1: All right. <laughs> thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. And have a great day, everybody.
2: Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story.